Welcome to another episode of The Legal Marketing Studio, the bi-weekly podcast examining best-in-class examples of branding, strategy, content, and technology in legal marketing. Each episode is devoted to a successful initiative, an innovative campaign, a promising technology, or an effective, proven strategy for developing new business at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of The Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm speaking with Arthur Levin, the founder of AGL Associates and a 30-year veteran of law firm administration. Prior to founding AGL Associates in 1990, Arthur served as executive director of three major law firms. He is highly regarded as an expert in devising and implementing creative and practical solutions to a wide variety of law firm, administrative, organization, and financial issues, as well as designing customized marketing plans for individual attorneys that result in significant revenue increases. Arthur is a frequent speaker and lecturer to numerous law firm-related and professionals groups. He has served as chairman of the New York City Large Firm Administrators Group, president of the New York City and New Jersey chapters and regional vice president of the Association of Legal Administrators. He is currently a member of the New York Business Forum and co-founder and director of the Legal Resources Group. Arthur, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you very much, Michael. Great to be here. So I want to just start with talking about the business mindset, as I think that's going to be a foundation sort of for the rest of the conversation. Briefly, when we're talking about a business mindset for attorneys and for law firms, you know, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about uh, the concept now that lawyers are really beginning to realize that be- being in a law firm, whether it's a one-person firm or a multinational firm, it is a business. It has to be treated as a business and run as a business for profit. Do law firms differ from other businesses in general, or are they pretty much the same thing? They are different in the way they are generally managed in that the management structure of most law firms is pretty uh, flat across the top with the partners being in charge of the way the firm is run. That has been changing to a great extent over the past number of years with more professional people being brought in to run the firm and a tighter management structure than there has been in the past. But still, any partner who brings in a significant amount of money to the law firm has a say in the way the firm is run. Uh, Can having a business mindset in and of itself be a competitive advantage for law firms? Well, absolutely. Those firms who adopted the business mindset early on uh, had a great advantage over many, many other firms, especially during the economic downturn. Those firms with the business mindset saw it coming, adjusted appropriately, and kept their profits at a good level. Those who sort of stayed in the old-fashioned mindset of not being a business per se were hurt by it, hurt significantly. Uh, Does the size of a firm matter in terms of implementing a business mindset? I mean, obviously, the biggest international firms are already running much more like with that kind of mindset than, say, smaller firms. Well, smaller firms are really adapting, I think, even uh, more rapidly than the large firms, especially uh, in the past few years where a number of very high-quality lawyers have broken off from major firms and formed their own smaller boutique-type firms. Uh, Most of those firms have hit the ground running with a setup that really makes a lot of business sense. And then just to kind of transition from there towards the main thrust of the conversation around marketing, Mm -hmm. when we're looking at large versus small firms... uh, Are we looking at different strategies or processes or structures, or is this going to apply regardless of the firm size? Business development applies to any firm anywhere. The large firms have a much larger, generally uh, non-legal staff who works on things like branding and optimizing the website and doing all kinds of social media, which adds to the business development a possibility for the firm. But when you come down to it, no matter what the firm is, it's the individual lawyer going out there making the contact that brings the business in. 
are some of the business challenges and the marketing challenges, are these going to be the same across firm sizes? They are the same across firm sizes. Uh, There is competition. Uh, Really, when you really look at it, in most cases, the only new client you get is a client that comes from some other law firm. So it is a challenge out there, and the better lawyer, the better marketer, the better product you offer your client at a better price point, the the better the advantage you have. And then I've noticed on your website, when you talk about marketing plans, you're often talking about individual marketing plans Mm -hmm. for attorneys. You know, so assuming that we're talking about a a small firm or maybe a medium-sized firm, to what extent is it an individual attorney's responsibility to sell? Well, every uh, partner in a firm has a responsibility, a professional responsibility to sell because without selling, without bringing in new clients, you don't have a business. What I tend to work on is what the individual is capable of doing, willing to do, and will be successful over the long term. I could work with somebody for two or three months and sort of force them to do certain things, but it doesn't work if then I leave and they stop doing them. So I have to find those things that fit the individual that they will carry on doing because it fits them, it is something that works for them, it is something that is comfortable for them to do. So that's what the plans really do. If uh, somebody is only going to spend their time on weekends playing golf, I'll tend to build the plan around playing golf. Uh, There was one woman I spoke, a lawyer, a number of years ago, I asked her what she did best, and she said, I'm very good at baking cookies. I said, that's interesting, and we had a conversation. Then we found that what she now does is when she finishes a matter for a client, she sends a little handwritten thank you note and a very small box of cookies. Okay, she's now known as the cookie lawyer, and she doubled her business. So it doesn't matter what it is. If it's something that fits the lawyer, they will continue to do, and it produces new clients, go and do it. So in that answer, you talked about, you know, your own role in that, which I want to take that as sort of an opportunity to segue to the flip side of the attorney's responsibility, and that is the the firm's responsibility Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of supporting and perhaps encouraging uh, attorneys to sell. What what do you see as the role of the of the firm? Well, the firm has a number of responsibilities. Number one is to look at business development as a long term process. Some young lawyer coming into a law firm in their late 20s, early 30s, they're going to have some difficulty developing business simply because the people they know and the people they associate with are not able to refer business to them because they have not progressed in their career to the level where they have that authority to do so. But it doesn't mean that they can't encourage that younger lawyer on how to make those contacts, how to grow those contacts, how to put themselves in the right places so that as the people they know and the people they associate with go up in their own professional ladder, they are now in a position to refer work to the lawyer. And I think the firm has a great responsibility to do that, and many firms don't do that at all. And basically, that's why I have a business. I mean, in a way, can it be thought of as the firm sort of builds general brand awareness and a structure for the attorneys to sell within, but the attorneys then have to go out and use those things to sell? Brand awareness helps. Uh, If you say I come from XYZ firm and everybody knows that's a very well-regarded firm, it helps you in your selling proposition. But you still have to know to whom you're selling, how you're selling, what works, and how to talk to people about it properly so they will hire you. One of of the things that I talk about all the time is uh, the word that lawyers use when they have a client. They represent their client. The question is, if you take a look at the word represent, it is a very, very powerful word. 
Because what it means basically uh, is that I have a problem or an issue I cannot solve by myself. And if this issue gets out of hand, it could either cost me a great deal of money or possibly even put me in jail. So when I choose somebody to represent me, it becomes a real big deal. And lawyers have to understand and be able to explain to a client why they are the best person to represent them, to really save them in this situation. It's an emotional connection that has to be developed. And we work a lot with the lawyers on how to make this happen. Some of the larger firms, I've, I've heard about at least a handful that have started using professional salespeople rather than attorneys. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I think to some extent that makes sense depending on what they're selling. But when it comes to a major high-level legal uh, situation, uh, I believe you need the lawyer in there to, again, prove to the client that the kind of representation they're going to get is going to produce the result they want. So there's still a personal relationship aspect yeah, to the selling. Yeah, it's dating. Okay, how, how can you get that young girl across the room to go to the movies with you? I mean, it's basically, it's all human relationships. And the better you are at human relationships, the better you are at bringing business into the law firm. Also, on the firm side of things, cross-selling is one of those things that can create a significant amount of revenue if mm -hmm. done well. Yep. And a significant amount of tension if not done well. Yep. Do you have any thoughts about how firms can encourage cross-selling and build a in culture where that's possible? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems I see in law firms, the law firms that have silos where each partner is very protective of their own client and their own client base and unwilling to share is to many, uh, in many cases, a major detriment to the law firm. Where the management of the law firm has put together a culture within the firm and a compensation system that works with that culture to encourage sharing of the client among all of the lawyers in the firm so that the client gets a better product because the client gets the use of all the firm's resources as opposed to just one or two lawyers. It not only helps the client, it helps the firm grow its business tremendously. Does firm size matter all in terms of cross-selling? or uh, It depends. Uh, some smaller firms who are boutique firms where they have sort of one or two specialties within the firm and all the lawyers do that kind of work, cross-selling is almost an absolute requirement. In larger firms, Cross-selling is also helpful because if you uh, are a corporate lawyer and you can bring in your tax partner and your trust and estates partner and your litigation partner to all help the client, then you, take, you touch more parts of the client's business, which over the long run gives you more business and makes the client happier. From there, something that comes to my mind is you've talked in our pre-conversation before the interview about this idea of the untapped middle, mm -hmm. um, and you've got your rainmakers and you've got the people who are probably never going to sell because right. either it's not in them to sell or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, but then you have this group in the middle. Right. Uh, well, first of all, I, I want to make sure that people understand when I talk about the people who are not going to sell anything. doesn't mean they're bad lawyers, and probably they are very necessary to the firm because most of these people bring in significant expertise, which is required to handle whatever the client matter is. But the firm has to recognize that there are people in the firm who will not sell. Don't waste your time with those people. Put them to work where they can be most beneficial to the firm, and that's fine. The rainmakers, you know who they are. They're easy to identify. But what do you do with all those people in the middle? 
If you can increase the amount of money they bring in by a relatively small amount, $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 a year, and multiply that by 10 people, it goes right to the bottom line at a very large sum. So my basic suggestion is that there be a major, very uh, long and detailed questionnaire that goes out to all of the lawyers in the firm. And the questionnaire asks, who do you know? Who are you contacted with? Who's in your family? Okay. What happens with the people who are in the middle, the people who are not the rainmakers, they have difficulty turning the people they know and the contacts they have into business. But rainmakers are very good at this. So what I do is I take the rainmaker and the lawyer in the middle and I combine them and they work as a team where the lawyer in the middle will lay out the contact the lawyer who is the rainmaker helps make the contact and talk to them and protect, develop the business, and then they share in the revenue. So it works for everybody, and when you're doing that, you just get incremental increases in business. Aspects of that answer and something you mentioned earlier brings us to these individual marketing plans. And I want to talk about what goes into a successful marketing plan. Mm -hmm. What you just mentioned was the questionnaire and really defining who people know who is in their network and mm -hmm. who they can sell to? Who they can sell to or also identify certain groups. Uh, there is a um, very easy way to market. If you go into a group that you have a certain affinity with, it, it could be uh, uh, your, your college, uh, all the people you graduated from college. It could, it could be some religious or ethnic group that you're a member of. It could be stamp collectors. It could be anything because I find where there is a synergy among people Developing business within that group, if you are a member of that group, is really quite simple. And most lawyers don't really look at this opportunity that they have right in front of them. And when we begin to talk about it and we begin to put forth examples and things that they should do and actually one of the things that I find very important is that many lawyers are very good at putting themselves in a place where they can potentially develop business. But once they are there, they don't know what to say. So we actually work on the language to help the lawyer explain what they can do to help the other person. Because when you really took look at business development, it's all giving. It's not getting from somebody, but it's giving them a service or protecting them or doing something for them that they find valuable. And if you learn how to speak that way and to convey that message to people all the time, and especially if they're in some sort of affinity group, you tend to be able to develop business. And most lawyers find it very comfortable to do so in an affinity group of one kind or another. So you talked about pairing up the rainmaker with, uh, with mm -hmm. the attorney from the middle. To what extent is it important to either mentor them or to assist the attorney in doing those things? It's critical. Because uh, one of the things that I do uh, when I go into a law firm, first of all, when you go into any law firm, we, uh, no matter how many lawyers they think they may want to train, uh, the initial contract is for never more than three lawyers. And we do that on purpose. One of the things that we do is we will say to the management committee or the managing partner, give me the list of the people who you think will be appropriate for training. Let me interview those people. And we select three people who, first of all, have had some success in the past, have a willingness to work at this, and are willing to put in the time and effort. Because one of the big problems I find is that there are lawyers who are not willing to put in the time and effort. And those people will never be successful. You have to be willing to work at this thing. And once we choose the three people and they go through the training, the chances are that they will bring in at least one significant piece of business among the three of them. That pays for the initial work that we do, so firms are quite happy with this. Uh, but then once we begin to train people, we begin to train those people who are up-and-coming lawyers, and at 
then uh, at some point in time, the rainmakers always want to get involved, see if they can do something a little bit better, a little bit different from what they do. And we train those people as well. And then we have great knowledge as to who these people are, what their talents are, what, what their directions are. And then, then we put together the teams. We put together the teams of lawyers who we know will work well together. And when you do that, that's when you get your increases. I assume that that process also helps with getting buy-in from attorneys who either don't want to sell or don't think they can sell or just don't want to deal with it. Not only to get buy-in, but it begins to adjust the culture of the firm to where everybody has a stake in business development. If you were a mid-level lawyer, you know, a person in the middle, and you were making whatever you were making and sort of not being able to break out, now all of a sudden you're looked at differently. You're now contributing to the firm's bottom line. You have more clout in the firm. You feel better about yourself. And it sort of translates to everyone in the firm. Something else that you've mentioned in our conversation before the interview was this the importance of simplicity in these plans. Mm-hmm. Why is it important that these that these marketing plans should be simple? Because th- th- there has to be something that is almost natural to do. It can't be a whole bunch of artificial tasks that you feel uncomfortable doing. Uh, again, I said, you know, if you're going to play golf, so you just go play golf, but you play golf a little differently. I had, I had one client who was really an excellent golfer, and he would go to the golf course on weekends, and he would meet the people he was playing with. He'd play golf. He'd go home. But he was known in the club as probably the best golfer in the club. So I said to him, one of the things you have to do is play less golf. Go to the club, okay, but get on a committee. Do something else in the club so you get to speak to more of the members. So he got on the membership committee, which meant that he met almost every new member coming into the club. He walked out of that one year. He had seven pieces of business out of the golf club. All right. So he took what he was going to do anyhow and turned it into something to put cash in his pocket. And it goes back to the, the cookie lawyer also. Yep. It's a really simple idea. Very simple. But it puts you in the mind of people, and it makes people remember you, and it makes you stand out. Because you don't need gigantic differences. You need just a little bit of difference to make it go your way. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of good lawyers out there. Why does somebody choose you over somebody else? Who knows? Okay? But it could be the littlest thing. So work on all the little things that are easy to do. It's crazy not to do it. It doesn't cost anything. Do you find that attorneys, once they've done something simple that works, then want to try other things and expand their selling? Yep. I mean, uh, once lawyers understand that they can begin to do this, and it's not as difficult as they thought it was, they just do more and more. Uh, Is there anything critical in a firm supporting an attorney's long-term success in their marketing? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the plans that we work on with the lawyers require uh, some degree of research. If uh, they're looking to um, find out certain groups to whom they may make a presentation, for example, there is work that has to be done to determine what is the appropriate group. The group has to be contacted. They have to talk to the program director. They have to arrange for the, the presentation. Lawyers don't have time to do this. But if you have someone in the firm who, in the marketing department who can do this and do this well, then it's very helpful. Also, if you have people in the marketing department who really do their job and can identify possible areas where lawyers can go and help and develop business, and they take them to the lawyer and say, look, here's an opportunity. Here's a group I know about. You probably should speak to this group about whatever your practice area is. It's very helpful to the lawyer. Again, they don't have the time to do this, but the non-lawyer staff can help them in all these ways. So the focus of the podcast is obviously marketing and business development. But I know that you also deal a lot with business processes for law firms. I I wanted to just talk about that briefly, because I think some of those things can impact either the business mindset or how firms sell. 
Well, what's been happening with, with business process in law firms is that it's been improving. I think greatly improving, especially with, with the the need for everything to be computerized. And not only that, it, the cl- 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 many clients are much more sophisticated than they were in the past. Uh, and they realize that their law firms have to fit into whatever technology they use. And to some extent, the client is driving the technology in the law firm. Uh, a large client will say to a law firm, you have to handle my matter in a certain way. We need reports of a certain kind on a regular basis. We want to uh, communicate with you a certain way. We want to go back and forth with documents and all of this. And the law firms are saying, yes, we agree. We have to do that. And by doing that, the processes are becoming much more sophisticated and modernized. So it's a combination of the law firm needing to do it and the, cl- and the client requiring that it be done. And that is making these processes uh, work better. Not only that, I think law law firms are much more aware of the cost of their operation, and they want to reduce that cost the same way any corporation wants to reduce that cost. So they really take a look at the number of people they employ, what these people are actually doing, are they being productive, and all of this new methodology is helping with the law firm who – is having some bottom line issues because it's not as easy as it used to be to raise rates on an annual basis. The rates have to be competitive. If your rates are competitive, your operation costs have to be kept in check in order to be profitable at the end. Are there any particular issues that you see coming up over and over again with firms, uh, aside from those that you uh, just mentioned? Uh, again, I, I think the, the biggest issue in any – first of all, one of the big issues is management in the firm. One of the biggest problems every firm has is finding a lawyer who is capable and willing to manage the firm. No matter uh, how many non-lawyer managers you have, you still need lawyer management as part of that picture. And the biggest issue I think every firm has is finding the appropriate managing partner, the appropriate members of the management committee who can really put in the time and the creativity to keep the firm moving forward. Uh, This has always been an issue. There are a number of firms who go out of business year after year because they just can't find appropriate lawyer management of the firm. Uh, Another big issue, especially here in New York, is uh, the cost of space. A lot of law firms, when they're faced with a new lease coming up, the numbers, like in New York, go up fairly regularly, and they become very, very large. Uh, it becomes almost not not profitable to operate the law firm. So there are lots and lots of issues in management and lots and lots of issues around space. Also along the lines of the business side of things, this idea of the firm culture, mm-hmm. how important is it that the culture of a firm be shaped and managed over time or perhaps improved over time? Well, firm culture is really important. Um, The larger firms are working on it almost daily. Being a lawyer, especially in a a high-pressure area like New York City, is not an easy task. It requires many, many hours, a a lot of pressure, a lot of activity all of the time. And if the working environment is not conducive to you having a, a fairly good day, it wears on you. And a lot of lawyers move from firm to firm because it just doesn't feel right for them. It's just, it's just not a good culture for them to be in. And where they find a firm where there was cooperation, where you can get any grievances you had, they can be heard and they are corrected and people are doing modern and, and thinking f- uh, forwardly about, uh, about the, the firm itself, that really leads to happier lawyers. Happier lawyers leads to more money. It's not a mystery. 
All right. The, the people are not happy if the firm is, is difficult to work in. You're, you're not going to be as productive and you're not going to earn as much. And I assume that when you run through attorneys that way, when attorneys come and don't fit and leave, there is a business cost to oh, absolutely. starting them up, training them, getting oh, them in, and then all yeah. of a sudden, that's money down the drain Yeah, and on not, both sides. No, oh, and not only that. And if one of the people who leave is a large rainmaker and he takes a, a large uh, segment of your business with him, that can be damaging uh, beyond repair in some cases. Well, I want to close by allowing you to present the takeaways from this. And I was hoping you could give sort of the number one thing that attorneys should keep in mind in their selling, that firms should keep in mind in supporting their attorneys, and then the number one thing that solo attorneys might think about in terms of doing their selling without the support of a, of a larger firm behind them. Well, uh, the first thing I think that, that every firm has to realize is that uh, if you are a partner in a law firm, you have a professional responsibility to bring in business to the best of your ability. It doesn't mean you're going to be a major rainmaker, but it means that you have to really think about what you can do to help your firm grow and prosper. And that's a responsibility. It's not something you can abrogate and not worry about if, if you want to have any success. Uh, the firm can help all of their lawyers do so by recognizing that it is a cooperative venture. Everybody has to pitch in. And whatever the firm can do to help the lawyer attain those goals is better for the whole. And that's what you're, what you're working on. As far as the individual lawyer is concerned, individual lawyers have a difficult time. Uh, they try to get whatever work they possibly can. Uh, they, they, are, they tend to spread themselves very thinly. If you are not an expert in any one or two or three areas, you do a whole bunch of things, the chances are your hourly rate is going to be relatively low. All right? One of the things they should think about is greater degree of specialization. If they can improve their specialization where they become more of an expert in a given area, the chances are they can get a higher-level client and they can charge a higher hourly rate. So if they're looking for success, do not spread yourself across a wide spectrum of things, but try to concentrate it down and make more money doing fewer things. Great. Well, Arthur, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business. The theme music was composed by Ryan Knock of Knock It Out Music. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com there. It's just legalmarketing.studio. Would you like to appear on the Legal Marketing Studio or know someone who might? Please send an email to producer at legalmarketing.studio or reach out via the contact page on our website, legalmarketing.studio. We love meeting new people in the legal marketing sphere. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 